This is episode number 24 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. When it comes to development, there's always a lot of buzz around web application security, whether that be protecting your users, protecting your database, whatever it may be. But there's not a whole lot of buzz around mobile application security. In this episode, I'm joined by TJ Van Toll and Rob Lauer, who work at Progress, and we're going to be exploring what it means when it comes to securing your mobile application. So what are the things that can be done to make sure that your application is safe, that your users are safe, and everything in between is safe? If you recognize the name TJ Vantol, he was actually on a previous episode uh, back when I had just started this show. It was an episode on native script. If you haven't listened to that episode, I definitely recommend that you do. It is still very relevant. Native script is still thriving, um, and it's a great way to develop mobile applications. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with TJ Vantol and Rob Lauer, and we're going to be talking about mobile application security and why it's relevant before and after you publish your mobile applications. But before we get into the core material of the subject, I want to give TJ and Rob a chance to introduce themselves. And just going forward, TJ is actually a second time guest on this show. Um, but let's go ahead and how are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great over here. Rob and I are both uh, in the snowy tundra here, so we're we're a little bit jealous of your climate at the moment. Yeah, yeah it's up. like uh, 64 degrees over here every day. Uh, Oof, we're on lockdown <laughs> here, so it's good timing. <laughs> Perfect. Um, is that is there anything new with you, TJ, going on since our last talk? No, so for people that it's been a while since I've been on. So I work as a developer advocate at Progress. We're a software development company, and I mostly work on the NativeScript team. So it's our framework for building iOS and Android apps. And more recently, I've also been involved with a product we have here too called Progress Convey, which is has some backend related stuff that we'll probably get into a little bit as we go through our talk today. Yeah, and I think the last time we talked, I think Progress was you were actually still at Telerik before it was acquired, right? Uh, yeah, it depends on how long ago it was, but yep. Yeah, awesome. And how are you doing, Rob? What, what's up with you? You're, you're a first-time guest. I am a first-time guest. Thanks very much for having me on the show today. Um, yeah, so my name's Rob Lauer. Uh, I am the manager of the Progress Mobility Developer Relations team, of which TJ, of course, is a member. And so what that means is uh, uh, our mobility team is focused on basically a couple products at Progress. One is the open source native script framework, and the other is Kinvey, as TJ mentioned. So um, we do have another developer relations team that's more focused on our traditional Telerik dev tool side of things. But um, we also have a great team working on some great open source tools. Awesome. Awesome. So let's jump right into the core subject material. So a lot of times when you're when you're publishing web applications, I'm going to go web application first, and then we'll jump right into the mobile stuff. But when when you're hearing about web applications, you're often hearing about security. Are your passwords secure? Um, does your web application follow best practice? But I think a lot of people might not jump to realize that you got to worry about the same kind of stuff in mobile applications, right? Right, and even even goes further. I mean, 
Uh, a lot of people, I think we've been lulled into a certain amount of complacency with the app stores being this uh, magical kingdom of security for us uh, because there isn't that kind of uh, transparent distribution of our uh, apps to the end users, right? There's this kind of gatekeeper we have with Apple and Google to um, you know, do things like virus scanning and uh, you know, certain uh, checking of malicious API usage and such. So I think we've been, like I said, kind of lulled into this, uh, you know, a bit of a false sense of security when it comes to our mobile apps. And that's not, you mentioned virus scanning and stuff like that. I don't even think the app stores are doing that because I'm always hearing about reports that people have now downloaded malicious applications on their devices, right? Yeah, I think that may be more with, uh, you know, hidden API usage. I don't know. There's, uh, I know certainly, you know, there's the device, there's, there's the device APIs that Apple and Google provide publicly. And then there's um, some undocumented APIs that they don't necessarily want you to use that could expose, um, you know, underlying uh, user data or features that, that could potentially compromise the user or the device, I guess, in theory. Yeah, yeah. and sec- security is always a bit of an arms race, too, that even if they are scanning for certain things, I mean, the malicious people are always... Uh, or at least they always try to stay a step ahead of the the people watching them. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes total sense. So when when somebody says mobile ap- application security, uh, what exactly do they mean? That's a great question. I mean, it's it, to me, it's it's a big bucket, right? And it's and I think it's important to start out being realistic. Like it's it's very difficult, if not impossible, to develop an app that's a hundred percent secure and on complete lockdown. Um, there's what we're focused on is kind of mitigating these issues or mitigating the risk for the user. So uh, there's what I like to think of is, is kind of the different stages of app security. We want to talk about securing the app code, the source code on uh, within the app on the device. And we want to secure the data that's stored at rest on the device. We want to store secure data as it's transferred back and forth from the, you know, your backend service of choice. And we want to make sure that the the user is secure and that their data is secure and that they're securely authenticating um, and, uh, you know, again, communication with that backend system for that authentication and role authorization is all kind of really tightly secured. So we want to kind of layer all these on top of each other with the hope at the end of the day that we've provided as secure of an app as possible. Yeah. And the other thing I'd add to that, too, is that, I mean, security can be a really overwhelming topic. So whenever I talk about this, I, I like to focus on just the, the handful of really important things that are worth doing for your app development, because you can also find yourself getting into a place where you're you're caring too much about security that you're you're not actually shipping any features and such, too. So um, like as we talk through some of these things, it it's important to just keep in mind where are the, the low hanging fruit, where are the things that are. Uh, really potential targets or things that you should worry about as you go through your development processes. Right. I think so, it's important to to um, to state up front that I'm not trying to spread any kind of fear or doubt amongst the community either. I think that, um, you know, we've made a lot of, there's a lot of simple things, as TJ mentioned, that we can do to secure your app. And um, uh, by default, our apps are pretty secure. Like there's there's a lot that's done out of the box, but um, there's more that we can do, which is why I think we're here to talk today. So in regards to, uh, TJ said not to stress too much about the whole process, I kind of want to know what that process is. Where do you start? How do you evaluate um, security in your applications? 
So I think it starts with just sort of analyzing what your app does, because this is something that's going to be different for each individual application. Uh, so the first thing to know is, do you deal with user data at all? Because if you do, suddenly you, you've got a different risk profile than an app that is just, say, some sort of reference app that doesn't deal with actually users inputting stuff at all. And specifically, things like login forms, um, things like dealing with credit cards, uh, dealing with health data. That those types of applications um, are going to have to go through a little more scrutiny for how you deal with that information than something that's a little more simple. So it sort of starts with just evaluating what sort of app you're building, uh, what sort of data would malicious people want to get their hands on, and then sort of dealing, coming up with some sort of plan to, to deal with that. Interesting. Any further comments on that, Rob? No, I, I totally agree with TJ. I think it's... Um... I think one, I guess for me, I always kind of like to start with the source code. And if uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you ship an app to an end user, that end user in theory, again, has access to all of your source code, whether it's a natively compiled app all the way through to a um, a JavaScript native app with NativeScript or React Native or a hybrid app with Ionic, for instance. That source code is effectively there, whether they have to decompile it or not. And so you just need to be aware that are you shipping any proprietary business logic that you may not want your end users to be able to see and replicate? So there's an intellectual property issue out there. Um, is there something in the code that the user could take? And maybe if they have a jailbroken Android or iOS device, they could tweak that code, you know, and, and change something and then unlock some, you know, $50 feature in your app. And, you know, maybe this is, we're getting into edge cases here a little bit, but there's a lot of little considerations to think about when we're, when we're shipping apps. Yeah. Do that search for the is admin equals false flag and uh, start toying <laughs> right. around with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and this, this applies to not just mobile, but it, it applies to any client facing application, right? Anything that resides on a user's device, computer, et cetera. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think of your web browser, you're, you're shipping code to the, to the browser, to the user. So, so in regard, way. in regards to protecting your source code, what are, what are some of the things that people can do um, kind of across the board when it comes to mobile? Yeah. There, luckily there's a lot of steps you can take. And um, the first thing I always like to recommend, even though it's, I shouldn't lump it in with the security bucket, but that's just this basic step of code obfuscation or uglification using the uglify library. Um, what this will do is it'll take your raw JavaScript code and it'll minify it and obfuscate some of the variable names and such to make it much more difficult to read. Now, I qualify this by saying it's very, very easy to take that uglified code and paste it into a uh, quote-unquote beautification service and then be able to read that code again. So it's not really, it's in no way is this a bulletproof solution. Do those, However, I, I've never go ahead. converted it back from a, from a uglified state. Is it truly like usable or is it like just better than it was if you, if you plug it into a beautification? Uh, it's, it's pretty usable. I mean, variable names, you're not going to recover those, uh, but it's, I'd say the code is, is, it's legible, right? If you're a, you know, intermediate or expert JavaScript developer, you're going to be able to tell what's going on in the app. Got it. Yeah, Uglify won't change like hard-coded strings. And there's there's certain things that an Uglification tool on its own can't do. So like Rob said, it's, it's certainly not something you're going to just take in and just go use. But if, if you're the sort of person that's just looking 
through code to try to find certain areas, you'll definitely be able to peruse and sort of peck for, for certain things you might be interested in. Makes sense. And these uglification tools, you mentioned uh, uh, stuff for, for, uh, for JavaScript. Um, I think that ProGuard still exists for uh, Android with Java. I assume that there's right. others for other platforms as well, right? Uh, I believe so. I mean, with I know with ProGuard on Android, and uh, there's also a commercial version of ProGuard, or I'm getting it reversed. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but um, there are some good options for Android. Um, on iOS, there is a, uh, a built-in feature, and of course, I'm blanking on the name, like BitCode, I want to say. Does that ring a bell for anybody? No, I don't do nope. any iOS, unfortunately. <laughs> right. um, there is a feature in iOS that where you can... Um, I don't want to say encrypt, but but uh, effectively secure your code um, uh, at a at a deeper level. But um, I should have prepared a little bit better for <laughs> if I'm going to bring up <laughs> Bitcode. Um, but really, with JavaScript based apps, you know, you you talk about uglification, and it's really kind of a um, like I said, a really basic kind of first step. Uh, we have been working, however, with a company for many years now called JScrambler. And they are a paid third-party service uh, who provide much deeper obfuscation to the point of making the app um, uh, unreadable, really, if you try and take it through a beautification service again. They do some pretty amazing things with uh, even tweaking your code to set code traps, as they call them, where if you were to modify the code, the app would no longer work. Um, it's it's a service worth looking into. We've we've been working with them for many years since our days as a hybrid app uh, development uh, a platform company, all the way through to native script as well. Got it. Yeah, no, no, that I that makes sense. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a short story here on on one of my own personal experiences, but try not to go too far down the rabbit hole. Um, so back many years ago, uh, when Android was still uh, starting to become a thing. Uh, back when you had uh, to worry about your your action bar at the top because it was such a big pain in the butt. Um, I actually released an app. It still exists on the App Store today. It's called SQL Tool. Um, and this app, when I first released it, it was doing great. It, um, but the problem was people were, were rooting their devices and they were redistributing it because this was a paid application. Um, so I was finding out that, that my application was being distributed um, on these torrent type networks. Um, so I actually installed the DRM um, into my application. So Google, I'm sure that other, other platforms allow this as well, but I actually installed a DRM. I, I totally forgot the name of it because I haven't released an update in, in a while, uh, but it's a library. You can define uh, how it works. And basically you're saying, um, how, how often does it phone home to see if this is a, a a legitimate copy and not something that was redistributed. Um, so this definitely helped. It it didn't solve all of the problems, um, but that's a, that's a where I'm going with this is I think that's an extra step that you can take to prevent uh, redistribution of your application or um, kind of along the lines of people accessing your source code, right? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's the best for everyone. It, it seemed to work. I know that DRM people have their mixed mixed opinions on it. It definitely helps the developer, maybe not so much the client, uh, the end user. Um, but you have to find that that fine balance, right? Yep. So going on to the next phase. So we talked about um, reverse engineering and maybe preventing distribution. Um, what's the next phase in security? 
for mobile applications? Would you say? I mean, for me, it's all about the data, right? For a lot of us, we don't really care necessarily if our source code is exposed. I mean, aside from being embarrassed as horrible developers that we all are, um, the risk becomes with user data being exposed either on device with um, maybe your device gets stolen. And in theory, you know, there's, there's a way to download um, or, uh, you know, migrate device data off the device, um, you know, all the way through to device stored on the back end. So making sure that the user's data is secure. At rest, right? Or at rest. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to storing data on a, on a, in a mobile application, I assume that you can store it through the file system, through uh, whatever, I think core data is still being used on iOS or SQL, Lite. Right. Um, there's probably a lot of different ways, right, to, to store data. What is the recommended approach towards securing this? Sure. So with a, with a framework like NativeScript, we have a very vibrant plugin ecosystem. And uh, kind of the, the simplest way to do this is, is there's a plugin called um, NativeScript Secure Storage, I believe. And this is a cross-platform plugin, like, like the vast majority of our plugins are, that provides one common API on top of the uh, individual device APIs, such as for iOS, uh, for Keychain app for keychain um, data storage and on Android via, uh, I believe it's the Hawk library. And so uh, you simply provide a, a key value pair to this plugin and it'll securely store that data uh, within those respective uh, how, uh, lockers. How, yeah, how, what p- stage do you provide this, this key value uh, pair? I mean, is this, is this being stored in your application source code or are you passing it in as a user through some kind of prompt? Right, it'd be more of a uh, an input form that's that's created with the user. So there's nothing actually. So you're never sh- exposing it through the source code. It's just going right from the user input to secure storage. Now, can you actually do that with uh, Touch ID? Is that possible? Yes. So, uh, like with secure storage, there's another NativeScript plugin called NativeScript Fingerprint Auth, I believe, which is a bit of a misnomer because it covers face ID as well on iOS, uh, but you can uh, link all this up. So you can have the user uh, authenticate themselves via traditional mechanisms, whether it's a you know username-password combination or some kind of passcode, uh, and then initiate this biometric auth plugin and to get Touch ID or fingerprint authentication uh, linked up with their data as well. Can you use this Touch ID or, or face uh, recognition to act as your key value for encrypting your database or is it just kind of a kind of a an obstacle uh, um i think your application yeah i think that would be more of an obstacle um i believe yeah it's good this is getting too far into the weeds of the plugin itself which i don't no know problem. enough about but yeah no problem yeah another thing to consider too is i mean one way for a lot of apps, you could just consider whether you need to store data at rest at all, because if you have data that, um, you know, if you don't need the data locally, then you could try not to store it at all. Just send it off to whatever backend you're dealing with and make sure you're not keeping that data around at rest just to sort of avoid this uh, because it can get into the weeds. And the other thing that makes it tricky is, Oftentimes, the the steps you need to take here can vary depending on the provider that you're using. So the steps are going to be different based off, 
you know, platform and what tool you're happening happening to be using. So it can it can get a little bit tricky. Let let's say though that that um, you do, or let's go with the scenario. What what exactly would be justifiable to store on your device that needs encryption versus non encryption? Do you have anything off the top of your head? Yeah, so I can give you one example. So we we mentioned Progress Kinvey earlier, and it's just a backend tool that we have. And one feature we have of Kinvey is offline data storage. And so one example would be you want to change your app so that the users can say, let, let's say, operate on some form offline, and that when they regain connection, the changes that they've made get propagated up to the server. So in order to make that work, that, that sort of offline scenario, the data has to live on a device at some point, because otherwise, you, when you get connection, you wouldn't know what you have to, to send back to the mothership. And so for Kinvey, what we do is we store it locally using SQLite. And there's a the feature of SQLite, there's a SQL cipher, basically a way of encrypting that data at rest so that it's not just sort of sitting around uh, in plain text and so that it's encrypted for when we regain connection and send it up. Now, for us, that was kind of important because with Kinvey, we tend to work with companies doing things like you know, banking, healthcare, those sorts of things. And uh, that's not the sort of information that you'd want to just sit there, um, just readily available. Um, and so that would be one example of a scenario where to enable that feature, which that feature could be quite valuable for your users, you, you really can't get around having the data available at rest at the device at some point. So you're saying, um, so maybe somebody wants their, their health records on their device and not have to wait for a connection to the server. It has just synchronized it and that those health records are sensitive enough to need encryption. Yeah. Or even like you could see like a health tracking app that say was um, even like tracking like biometric stuff. Maybe you had some sort of sensor pulling um, data from you know, wherever uh, lots of times those types of sensor devices have to work offline because, um, you know, they, they need to work when you maybe even be away from your phone, for example. And so there, at some level, that data has to exist on the device. So that would be one scenario where I think it would make sense. Got it. Any other input on that, Rob? No, I think TJ hit it on the head. I think um, especially when we talk about uh, healthcare data, especially in, the, in here in the U.S., you know, when we get into those requirements under HIPAA and, um, you know, making sure that any personal health information or personally identifiable information is, is locked down, whether it's on the device or on the server. Got it. But I think those scenarios sometimes are a bit of outliers. Like the, the things to be aware of is, you know, don't just casually store like, I mean, this is like the extreme example, but like a user's credit card or, or, or something like that, just for the convenience of your app. Like I need the the credit card to be available on the next page or something like that, just because that's the sort of thing that exposes you to potentially um, being compromised. Yeah. Let me, I mean, give me one minute to tell a story from my, my embarrassing past, about 15 right. plus years ago, we, um, we realized that this was in the early days of maybe this is more like 20 years ago. Geez, I'm old. Um, but in the early days of e-commerce, we were providing, you know, a basic website to allow people to pay for some, uh, class or product online, right? And we realized that we were, uh, as part of the process, we were redirecting users and putting their social security number in the query string of the browser, which, uh, of course, we realized in hindsight that that was being stored <laughs> in an unsecure uh, server log on IIS, right? And so there's, 
Um, you know, as TJ mentioned, there's really basic things that we need to think about before we get into the technical solutions of these, determining whether or not we really even need to be doing what we're doing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because I know that uh, sometimes people um, always have the urge just to send everything all the time, every time, right? Right, um, right, exactly. And, and, ha- and more than half the time, people only need to do a, a fraction of that. Um, so it, it, yeah, that, uh, I guess that could happen to anyone. I think it's probably happened to all of us, even if we don't want to admit it. Um, <laughs> but I, I won't admit it. Um, so, um, so we've talked about data at rest. We've talked about, um, uh, securing your application source code. Um, uh, so now the, the next plausible step would be transferring that to the, uh, remote servers, right? Right. I, you know, yeah, so TJ already mentioned, you know, this online offline sync of data and when that data is synced and and where is it going and is it being securely stored on your remote backend and um I think most of us are pretty secure with the with the big um uh, cloud providers, you know, Azure, the AWS, the uh, uh Firebase, Progress Convey, of course, you know, got to do our product plug here. Uh, but a lot what a lot of people don't think about is other than you know, using SSL or TLS rather, uh, they're kind of thinking of TLS as the the end story, right? We're securely submitting or transferring that data and that's it. Uh, Whereas the reality is that we need to also be be worried about that, not worried, but be concerned about that that road between our app and the remote endpoint. Yeah. Do you want to shed some light uh, yeah. on that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I could. I feel like I, I start babbling. So, no, that it's, it is, it is, it is, so it is very important. And we'll want to make sure that we're avoiding what's called a man in the middle attack. So, this is where, in theory, a malicious user could have a copy of a server certificate and be able to intercept, whether uh, a transparently intercept communication between a client and a server. And so, both sides, the client and the server think that the communication is legit, but they don't realize that there's actually been uh, somebody sniffing that traffic in the middle. And luckily, there's a very, very easy way around this, and that is with a technology known as SSL pinning, which basically just requires you to uh, keep a copy of the server certificate on the device and so that you can actually verify as traffic comes in and out that it is, it is the um, the fingerprint or the, I'm blanking on the term, um, but it's the, it's a verified communication from the client to the server. You talking about the handshake? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So then when you have, when you start worrying about the handshake and this kind of stuff, do you, does it add any kind of extra overhead, uh, as part of your uh, mobile application? Do you have to do extra steps to make sure that you're, you're sending it securely? Or is this just something that, uh, most modern mobile, um, operating systems just handle for you? So I can speak to the native script side of things with this, when you're using this SSL pinning plugin, for example, uh, it is effectively a drop-in replacement for the existing HTTP module. So there's really virtually no code changes you have to make, which is ideal for somebody developing a cross-platform app. Um, Also, it's important to note, too, that both iOS and Android do now require secure communication out of the box with your app. So you actually have to make a change to your info plist or your Android manifest file to to get around that restriction. So it's, we're, we're, 
these uh, platforms are maturing. We're getting into a more secure environment. And uh, luckily, if you, you know, layer SSL pinning on top of that, we're, we're pretty satisfied with our security between client and server. Excellent. So then I'm going to, I'm going to bring up your, your past uh, skeletons again with your social security in your URL bar uh, query parameters. Um, even if you are protecting client to server communication, um, should you still be concerned about what exactly you're sending um, between? Uh, or if it's secure, then you can go ahead and, and send uh, whatever, whenever. I mean, I think it's always intelligent to be you know, to, to limit what you're sending, as we mentioned before, limit the data that you're sending only, only submitting data back and forth. That is really critical to your apps functionality just to be safe. Yeah. And there are also potentially compliance issues with, depending on the data that you operate with as well, which sort of plays into this as well. So the second that you start accepting, for example, credit card information, there's a number of additional uh, sort of restrictions and guidelines that, that apply to whether whether you're allowed to store that information or what you're allowed to do with it. I know just because of our background in Kinvey that the health space is crazy regulated around this sort of thing as well. Like if you if you need to be, uh, for example, in the US, we have HIPAA compliance. There's a number of other compliance things as well. And so it's just something to be aware of if you're working in any of these industries, if you're working with those types of data that um, typically, once you get involved into that, there can be some additional uh, steps and things to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, there there are a ton of compliance compliances over here. Um, I assume that there's others, different ones uh, worldwide, but I don't have the information on that. Um, in regards to um, how you communicate with this, any kind of backend from your mobile application as a user. Um, typically on the web, you're using something like JSON web tokens, uh, which are JWT. Uh, there's OAuth. There's other kind of security mechanisms for communicating between device and server. Um, I, this still applies in mobile. I've I've used it before. Um, how how do you worry about storing the information? Because now you're you're worried about communi- communication outside of the device, but yet you also need to store this information. Are you are you storing your your tokens inside of your encrypted database? Are you hard coding anything in your application? Um, because every API has like what API keys, API tokens, things like that, right? How does that work? Yeah, so this is another. I, I hate giving this answer, but this is another sort of it depends sort of deal as well. Sure. Uh, because for certain services, it might be totally fine to store the token just in plain text in your app, and it not being a problem. Uh, so, for example, I'll bring up Kinvey again. There's an API key for Kinvey, as you might expect to to hit some of the backend APIs. But it's designed so that the backend API key is really something that you shouldn't be worried about falling into the wrong hands because the key on itself won't give you sort of the uh, uh, keys to the kingdom or you know complete admin access to the backend. You have to actually authenticate as a user in court, in sort of along with the key to be able to actually do anything. Now in Kinvey, we do have a concept of essentially a secret, a master key sort of thing, which is in our case, the thing that you do not want to fall into the wrong hands because that's sort of what gave, gives you sort of admin access to the back end. But the API key, at least in terms of Kinvey, is something that's designed to be totally fine to be publicly exposed and you shouldn't uh, feel bad about putting that into your application. Now, that being said, that's not something that's, that's sort of universally true uh, with all providers. I think one example that we hear coming up a lot is API keys that 
hit some sort of service that you are charged money for for using excessively. So think like um, Google Maps or some sort of weather API or you know something that has pricing tiers that if you hit the API you know X number of times, you're charged Y number of dollars. And the concern there is that API key is potentially pretty valuable for someone to get their hands on. You know, someone wants to do a lot of things with Google Maps and they don't want to pay. Well, it's a lot easier to just steal somebody else's uh, API key and go from there. And for there, things are a little bit harder. Um, you could certainly try, you could certainly use some sort of method to try to encrypt that API key locally. Uh, another option that we've seen that we use occasionally as well is just to take those keys and put them behind some sort of server, uh, serverless endpoint. So just put basically put it on some back end so that you can retrieve it as part of your app process so that that API key doesn't actually live as part of your source code. Uh, so those are just some common things that we see coming up. Uh, unfortunately, though, it's not the sort of thing that uh, there's there's no blanket rule because it really depends on the service. So it's worth just getting familiar with what service you're using, um, what that API key actually gives the user access to, and you know, put yourself in a situation of if some malicious user got a hold of this API key, you know, thinking about what could they do with it, um, and whether that would delect, harm you or your users in any way. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, some services they do let you um, lock down your API key through their own dashboard, so like locking it down to a certain uh, domain or a certain app package. Um, I don't know how effective those are, though, um, because I, I imagine that people can always spoof things. Um, but that's a topic that's outside of my area of specialty, so I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's another thing that it just depends on your risk. Like if you're using, if it's an API key that gives people access to, say, like your user data or something very important, then it's worth taking time to research that thinking through, you know, how are you securing this, um, doing your due diligence. If it's some API key that you're using for some sort of uh, relatively extraneous use, then, I mean, still worth looking into, but, you know, you, you can feel free, uh, you can sleep at night knowing that, like, what's the worst case scenario, right? If they run, run up your bill a little bit, um, just, just, I guess, something to be aware of. Well, yeah, yeah I, think... I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want people running up my bill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, well, um, yeah, I mean, some services will turn you off at a certain point without letting you rack up a bill. So I guess that's something to be aware of. <laughs> sure. I was just going to mention, too, a related point to this is uh, a lot of us get burned or have gotten burned in the past by uh, using a public repository on GitHub or Bitbucket and such and uploading these private keys. And of course, there's numerous bots out there that are scouring repositories constantly looking for these, you know, an exposed. Uh, Firebase key, for instance, that would let them get into your account. So it's it's again kind of getting back to this like kind of common sense, like like leave that stuff out of any public repositories before you even get started. Yeah, and even if you you accidentally put it in GitHub and then you quickly delete it, um, Git remembers. So you got to be a little more cautious, even if you accidentally do it, and you got to rewrite history a little bit because the bots are pretty advanced and can find it even if it's you know a few commits back. Yeah. So then we've talked about uh, protecting your source code with, with some kind of obfuscation. It's a very hard word for me to say. Uh, <laughs> encrypting your data at rest, uh, using uh, SSL um, through your HTTP requests, um, all, all kinds of good stuff. 
Is there any kind of uh, words of wisdom you want to give out that are beyond what we've talked about so far on the topic of uh, mobile application security? So that way people developing uh, these new applications can can have kind of an idea of what to look forward to or anything anything you guys want to bring up. I'm thinking if that made any sense at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it, it definitely yeah, I can go first. I, I mean, to me, it just, again, comes back to having a common sense approach to this. I mean, think about security while you're developing your app and not an afterthought. I know, like, I certainly have stories like like Rob and Nick have shared where, like, after the fact, you realize, like, oh, crap. And you don't you don't actually think about things until after some sort of incident or some sort of breach or something that has happened. So it's something to keep top of mind throughout the development process and not just sort of a you know afterthought of after your app has been out there for a while. And I'd again sort of stress talking about like just some of these common things, just because I think these are the things that are really sort of easy to address, just to think about what data am I working with? Um, what could a malicious user do with this? What are some of the options I have? And to probably be especially critical if you're working in certain areas that deal with, and we've hit this a lot, but in banking insurance, health APIs, uh, working with user data, like passwords, credit cards. Those are the sort of things that it's worth spending the bulk of your time thinking about um, just to just to prioritize those things, because it is something that you can get overwhelmed with. I mean, you just do a Google search for mobile app security and prepare yourself for some pain because there's a lot that goes into it and it can be very confusing at times. Yeah, I think TJ really nailed it there. Uh, for me, it Again, kind of what we mentioned in the beginning, this isn't, you know, it's not about spreading fear and making people hesitant to even develop an app for fear of, uh, you know, losing some IP on their on the next great game. But it is it's it's something to have in the back of your mind the entire time that you're developing the app. Awesome. Well, then I appreciate the two of you guys coming on this episode. Thanks for being a repeat guest, TJ, and a first time guest, Rob. I think uh, in a future episode, maybe we should explore more on Kinvey, um, since it was mentioned a few times here. Um, but for yeah, now, absolutely. thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Nick. I'm hoping that you found value in the material that Rob and TJ had to offer, because mobile application security is a serious subject. Um, don't just think that, that security is just for your web applications. It's definitely for your mobile applications as well. Like I mentioned on the show, I did release an application called SQL Tool. This application was distributed against my will. Um, and as a result, I had to look into obfuscating and adding DRM and do all kinds of extra steps to, in order to protect my application. Um, it wasn't necessarily to protect my users because it wasn't um, that necessarily that type of app, but it was to protect my own application as well. I'd like to give a special shout out to DigitalOcean, who's a sponsor of the Polyglot Developer Podcast. In case you're unfamiliar with DigitalOcean, it's by far the easiest cloud platform to run and scale your applications. DigitalOcean has a variety of products ranging from object storage to scalable compute services, all of which having a very affordable and predictable pricing model. In case you're unaware, the Polyglot developer is actually hosted on DigitalOcean, and it has been for several years now. If you'd like to give DigitalOcean a try and see why I like it so much, I actually have a promotional code to give out. It'll get you $100, which will actually get you quite far when it comes to the services that you can get. In your web browser, go ahead and navigate to do.co slash polyglot. 
and that will go ahead and get you the promotional value when you sign up. And again, that's $100, and that'll get you quite far. If you're listening to this episode on iTunes or another podcast network that allows for ratings and reviews, it would mean a lot to me if you left it a five-star rating and then maybe said something nice about the show so that way it would help other future listeners. And that concludes episode number 24.